appreciate you all being here tonight. We're going to have a time of QA Bible study, and uh, then we'll bust it out of here. So um, if I don't know the answer, no questions, dumb or stupid, rules of engagement, just the one that you don't ask. And if I don't have the answer, Justin will answer it for us. So, uh, all right. Any burning questions tonight in the Bible? Don't ask about the word rear, rear, what was it? Rear, 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 yeah, rear reward, yeah, rear reward, yeah, that was, it's reward, rear reward, so that was funny, but we got that all figured out. All right, wow. Ding, dun, 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 dun. Where are y'all reading at in the Bible? Oh, I do have a, an adjustment while we're, we're waiting on a question, uh, if there is going to be one. Um, so I, I thought next week was we were going to go to the family study, but I think that's going to be after we get back from Monmouth, is what I was told tonight. So, uh, Jeff, does, is that is that what you know too? Is he up in the booth? Okay. So, uh, so just for planning reasons, we'll be. It'll be the. Is that the fifteenth? I think is the 15th is when we go with the family study. Uh, and then we'll probably have a, a week off for, uh, we'll do a special service probably on the 22nd um, for Thanksgiving, probably be a family service. And then uh, we go into December um, with uh, the family study here on Wednesday night. So FYI. So QA is coming to a close. That's also what I'm saying. We're coming to the end of that. No, no, we'll just do some things. We'll celebrate Thanksgiving and have a, we'll usually talk, we usually do some testimonies and, and uh, we did some singing last year and then a little message. Yes, sir. Huh? Oh, yeah. Yep. Uh huh. I think I can help with that. So, First uh, Samuel chapter seventeen. This is good. I, uh, this is a good question, and it's there's a there's a little there's a lot more. To, I mean, there's there's a lot to that. So I'm glad you're asking that. So for the for those that can't hear, um, we're talking about First Samuel seventeen. David's fly, fighting Goliath, and per, in particular. Um, See where's it at here? Uh, down around verse, um, yeah, he's down here in thirty. Yeah, down in verse thirty-eight, um, says, and Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass on his head, and he uh, armed him with a coat of mail, uh, chain mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, uh, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, I have not proved them. And David put them off him, and he took his staff in his hand and uh, chose him five smooth stones out of um, the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even a, a scrip, and his sling was in his hand, 
as he drew near to the Philistines. And of course, and here's, let's just read this out. And the Philistines came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistines looked about and saw David, he disdained him. And, uh, and he was but a youth and ruddy and, fair and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And basically he's calling David a twig. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air and the beasts of the field. Uh, by the way, the Philistines had never had a problem destroying children there, have they? So then said David to the Philistine, uh, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of, of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. Uh, this day uh, will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee and take thine head from uh, from thee, and I will give thee the carcass of the host of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and uh, the wild beasts of the earth, earth, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. And all the assembly shall know uh, the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you... Uh, and he will give you into our hands. Uh, notice how David says our hands, not just his hands, but our hands, uh, meaning the Jews. And it came to pass when the Philistines arose and came and drew nigh to meet David. And David hast, uh, hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine, which I just love that. Uh, David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slang it and smote the Philistine in the forehead that the stone sunk uh, into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in uh, the hand of David. Love the imagery there. Um, and so there David ran and, and stood upon the Philistine and took his sword, which was, I'm sure, sizable, and drew it out of the sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith and when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of Israel and of Judah arose and shouted and pursued, under the, Philist, uh, pursued the Philistines until they, they came to the valley and, the, and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of the Philistines fell down by the way to Sherem, even unto Gath and Ekron. Um, and I think, believe Gath is modern day where you would have uh, it's uh, uh, Gaza. Um, and the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines, and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it into Jerusalem, but he put his armor in his tent. Okay, uh, I'm going to stop there. So that's pretty much the whole account. And so the, the question is, okay, he has one uh, stone, and he obviously he only needed one stone, but he took five stones. And so you've heard that uh, his brothers, he had one for each brother, so... Uh, the accounting of his brothers is what you you don't have, I think, is what you were saying. So we need to count that up tonight um, and find out where his brothers are. So yeah, this is an interesting. This opens up a Pandora's box. So let's go to First Chronicles twenty and verse five. First Chronicles 20 and verse 5. So, I'll just start in verse 1. So, sword drill. I'm there. Okay. 
So, First Chronicles 20, verse 5. I thought I had this in my margin, but I think it may be in my other Bible, my preaching Bible. But we'll figure it out anyway. All right, so, and it came to pass that after the, the year was expired, at the time that the kings go out to battle, Joab led forth the power of the army and wasted the country of the children of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David tarried at Jerusalem, and Joab smote Rabbah and destroyed it. And David took the crown of their king from off his head and found it to weigh a talent of gold, and there were precious stones in it, and it was set upon David's head, and he brought it also and he brought also exceeding much spoil out of the city. And he brought out the people that were in it and cut them with saws. Check this kind of I mean, this is brutal. I was actually reading this not long ago and just thinking about man. David was uh you know, you think about these old testament dudes and you know, this is this is pretty graphic. By the way, if you don't read the old testament, which you, everyone should, it's like R rated, I mean, for violence and all kinds of stuff. It's 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 nasty. And this is one of those verses that's really graphic. And he brought out the people that were in it and cut them with saws and with harrows of iron and with axes. Even so dealt David with all the cities of the children of Ammon. And David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So they were absolutely scorched earth. Um, And it came to pass after this that there arose war at at Gezer with the Philistines, at which uh, time uh, Sebekai, the Hushathite, slew Sephai, that was of the children of the giant. Oh, wait a minute. Let's start writing some names down. So, um, Sippai was of the children of the of the giant. And there and there was subdued. Um, <clears throat> And there they were subdued. And there was war again with the Philistines. And Elhanan, the son of Jair, slew Lamahai, the brother of Goliath. So there's Lamai. That's the brother. 20 and verse 5. The Gittite, whose staff was like a weaver's beam. And yet again there was war at Gath, where he was a man of great stature, whose fingers and toes were four and and twenty, six on each hand. Right, excuse me. So six, twelve, eighteen, twenty-four. Six toes, six on each feet, on each foot, six fingers on each hand, uh, just like Goliath. Um, and he he was the son of the giant. So here we have, uh, and there was a where in Gath, and there was a great stature. Uh, we don't have the name, do we? So we have another brother. I'll just call him, or no, son. We have the son of the giant. But he had defied Israel. Uh, Jonathan, the son of Shimea, David's brother, slew him. So Jonathan took that bad boy out. Uh, and this says in verse 8, These were born unto the giant. Verse 8, this is the key. These were born unto the giant in Gath, and they fell by the hand of David and by the hand of his servants. All right, so um, Sippai, Lamai, and then there's another son here. It seems like, are we missing one? Uh, we know there's four brothers. Yes, sir. Okay. 
2 Samuel 21. Let's look at verses 15 through 22. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. All right, so let's look at this. Let's compare Scripture with Scripture. Here we go. Yep, thank you. This is this is this is it. So moreover, the Philistines. Um, yep. So moreover, the Philistines had war again with Israel. Verse fifteen, uh, and went down and his uh, went down and his servants with him and fought against the Philistines. And David waxed faint. Um, and Ish uh, Benab, uh, which was of the sons of the giant. So there's Ishbanab. We haven't heard of him yet. Uh, he was of the son of the giant. The weight, the weight of whose spear weighed three hundred shekels of brass, and the weight in weight, he being girded with a new sword, thought to have it slain David. But Abishai, the son of of uh, Zariah, secure, secured him and smote the Philistine and killed him. Then the men of David swear unto them, unto him, saying, Thou shalt uh, go no more out with us to the battle, that thou quench not the light of Israel. So David, by the way, is growing older here. He's not able to go like he used to. This isn't a Bathsheba situation, although it may have affected his stamina at length because of the diseases and stuff he picked up along the way, but that's another story. And it came to pass after this that there was again a battle in, uh, with the Philistines at Gob. Uh, then uh, uh, Sibachai, the uh, Hushathite, slew Saph, which was one of the sons of the giants. So now we have, uh, what's his name? Saf. And then there was again a battle in Gob with the Philistines where Elihan, the son of Jerarigom, a Bethlehemite, slew the brother of Goliath the Gittite, the staff of whose spear was like a weaver's beam. So we talked about that fella over in Second Chronicles. Um, and there was yet a battle in Gath. And there was a man of great stature that had on every hand six fingers, on every foot six toes, four and twenty in number. So we talked about this fellow, and he also was born to the giant. And when he and when he defied Israel, Jonathan the son of Shemaiah, the brother of David, slew him. These four, so here we have the accounting, these four were born to um, to the giant in Gath and fell by the hand of David and by the hand of of his servants. All right. So there you have it. Uh, now, what people are going to say is you have a contradiction because in Second Chronicles or First Chronicles twenty, it talks about his brothers, and here it talks about his sons. So, what your critical text scholars are going to tell you is evidently it's a scribal error. Um, I would say not a chance. Um, I believe I believe that is exactly what the Word of God says in verse 22. These were the sons of the giant, and they fell. Then how could they be his brother? I don't know. You tell me. How could his sons be his brother? Is exactly if he had his mother inbred. Now that's like to us it sounds crazy, but. Put yourself in a context of, of ancient paganism and think about, uh, just think about what the Bible teaches, uh, in regard, or not the Bible, but what, what the false religious pagan system is all about, Tammuz and all of that. And, um, and so 
it's highly, it's highly likely. Um, and also think about the, the Ark of the Covenant. Let's just back up and think about this in, the, in kind of a bigger context. So the Ark of the Covenant under Samuel gets taken. You guys remember that? And it was the Philistines that take the Ark. And that's a ter- terrible reproach. Um, and so uh, God recovers the Ark of the Covenant by himself. He doesn't even need he doesn't even need Israel. <laughs> he just he just lops off Dagon's head, pushes it forward, you know, gives him emeralds. Next thing you know, they're like, please take this ark back. We do not want this thing. Your God is is you know, your God's bigger than our God. We we can't take this anymore. So of course they go fetch it and uh and they bring it back. All right. So God is God is um a big God and, and they know that. So uh there's this constant battle though with the Philistines and and uh, I would hazard to guess, um, you know, that that uh, Goliath is God is a godlike presence. I mean, it's just like Pharaoh was a god manifest in flesh uh, in the Old Testament to the Egyptians. Obviously, he wasn't. Um, but you know, in their in the way the pagans look, he was an offspring of Ra, right? He was an offspring of a god. I suspect. I don't know this. I mean, so I can't. This isn't laying out in the Bible where I can just see it. So this, I'm going to tell you, my this is somewhat just my, uh, you know, assumption based on Old Testament, you know, culture, that Goliath was probably a god, or god in godlike stature with the Philistines, which would make sense too, if he did have have uh, have relations with his mother, because she was probably like a goddess, and they were probably trying to have offspring. Yes, sir. I should probably get the. Get this. Hang on a sec. If we have, do we have anyone online tonight? Okay, so there's people online. Okay. Should be on. Here I am. Okay. So I was thinking, uh, remembering in Genesis chapter 6 when it says, the sons of God looked upon the daughters of men and took wives of whoever they chose. Yeah. So, this is not new behavior. No. This is a pattern that's set up by their daddy, who was the devil's. The devil, right. It's demonic, for yeah. sure. And he was obviously of almost of a superhuman stature, as it is. And it's no accident. He's one of the greatest types of Antichrist in the Old Testament. Six fingers, six toes. And even, in the, even when he gets a stone to his head, now the Antichrist kingdom is destroyed by a stone, in the book of Daniel, uh, a stone comes down. Uh, it hits the foot because that's where they're at in the kingdom. But this is interesting because David, who is going to inherit, he's going to be given a promise later on um, to be the, the heir uh, to the throne and then have a dominion that goes on forever and ever. Um, uh, when he goes to want to build a house, God's like, well, I don't need your house. But while we're at it here, let me just bless your, your, uh, your seed forever. And and your name will not depart from the throne of Israel, you know. And he's like, whoa, what kind of promise is that? Well, that's a, is a, is picturing Christ because, of course, we know that uh, um, Jesus is the Lion of the Tribe of Judah. So so David sinks this stone in his forehead, right? And we know that in the coming tribulation, Antichrist, he's going to mark his people. He's going to emulate God, who marks his 144,000 in their forehead. He's going to mark his property. In everyone else's forehead, and so just in a, as a shadow and a type, God just puts a stone 
right in the middle of his forehead, and boom, guy goes down like a big, you know, big old tree. Like Dagon, by the way, who went face forward uh, when he cut him, cut him down as well, which was a lesson and a message to the Philistines that your gods, the same God that took down Dagon, just took down Goliath. Because it would make sense if you're running into the... Now, maybe, maybe the Goliath's momentum was going forward. I don't know. I wasn't there. But I would think if you get whacked in the head, you might go backward, you know, uh, with a rock. But he falls forward. And so I believe God pushed him forward or in whatever. God, God wanted him to go forward because he just uh, earlier had taken out their other god, Dagon, and uh, cut off his limbs and his head and pushed him forward and left him there. Uh, and so here, the, their next, uh, this next man who is, who is obviously coming into G, Judah's property uh, and saying, hey, uh, none of you are big enough to take me on. You know, where's your God now? Uh, the last thing he expected was this little shepherd boy to knock him out. But getting back to the, the question, I, I believe those, I, th- I believe the account, both accounts are accurate, is what I was going to say. Sons of the giant. Yeah. God, I believe God does that also, uh, right, sons of the Goliath. He does that also to help the people in the critical text gang like hang themselves because you either believe the Bible or you don't. I mean, there's some of these things that you're like, well, you don't have proof of that. Well, I got the proof that's in the Bible. That's all the proof I need because I believe the Bible. Um, and there's a lot of people that are really eager to say, oh, well, that can't be right. It's got to be a scribal error. See, you can't trust the text, et cetera, et cetera. Or... It could be that this is, these people were so perverse and perverted and demonic that that's exactly what was going on, which is where I'm going to, I land. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, and, and it is also just so ironic that the same people in the same i mean the same i was, I was ironic too i was just talking yesterday out of uh, or sunday out of exodus chapter 15 in the song of moses and you know typically you would call the people of gath the Pal- the philistines and and when you're in the song of moses which shows up in revelation they're palestia and uh which is like palestine and today that's the the claim against god's people is palestinians which are really just, uh, you know, the, the, the ancient Philistines were, were um, if I have my facts correct, just they were, they were, they were seafaring people. And, and uh, many believe they were of Greek origin, like they were settled by the Greeks. And they certainly warred like it. And uh, they went to war like that too. So um, uh, today, of course, the, the, the nomadic peoples of the, the Palestinians are, you know, they're a hodgepodge of Arabs. And so... Um, so they're not necessarily genetically the same people, but ironically, it's the same people or the same type of uh, uh, contention against God's people in the same location. So it's like history repeating, repeating itself all over again. So if they show up with a six-toed, six-fingered <laughs> fella, <laughs> big demonic, uh, you know, hybrid, we'll know. Oh, okay, yeah. So anyway. Um, no, that's a great that's a great question and a good and so Jeff, thank you for that cross reference. That's the that's the that's the one I needed. Um, let me. Look. I didn't actually look at my notes here. So the four brothers of Goliath. Uh, uh, oh, Gath. There's an interesting thing here. Gath means wine press. So 
That's an interesting thing too. I got another interesting note here. Uh, this is a devotional thought um, just from one of my studies. But it is interesting how David lost his power, but Moses and Joshua never lost theirs. And so David, man, sin will he'll eat your lunch. David ended up losing his strength. Moses' natural strength was not abated. And then there's no record that Joshua lost his, nor Caleb, right? Caleb into his later years was still taking strongholds. So there's a that doesn't mean necessarily for us physically in this in the New Testament that we should expect to have physical strength forever. But I tell you what, I was just thinking about this. I was actually praying about that this morning. Is that I was just asking the Lord that man, I hope I have clarity of thought in mind if the Lord tarries, which it doesn't look like he will. But if he were to tarry and I was going to be here for a while, I I pray that that well into my later years I would have clarity of thought in mind, regardless of my body, so that I can communicate clearly. Because it's so important today to be able to communicate, you know, have your mind and your and your facilities, faculties, so that you can communicate the Word of God, which is our primary, that's the sword that we use in this uh, in this dispensation. So I was just thinking about, I don't want to, I pray to God I don't get like David and lose my power, so to speak. And so, uh, you know, and so why, how do you do that? Well, don't, don't get caught up in idolatry and don't, don't mess around with sin and keep your strength. Yes, Ron, did you have your hand up? Oh, okay. All right, we got one question knocked out in record time. So I hope that, that was good. That was really good. All right, anyone else? Anything else? Yes. Oh, yeah, sorry. I went brain dead myself. I've been reading in Ezekiel. And um, I was wondering if we could get some imagery on the, um, let's see, in Ezekiel uh, 10, uh, of the the vision of God's glory departing from the temple at Jerusalem. Mm. Okay. So, uh, so you just want some, what'd you say? Some imagery imagery, um, like a picture. Oh, um, I don't know what all those words mean or okay. what they are. So I was wondering if we could. Well, I'm glad Jeff's here because he's create a, good a picture. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's look at the text and see what we got here. First of all, he says, then I looked and behold, in, in the firmament that was above the head of the cherubims, there appeared over them as a, as it were a sapphire stone as the appearance of a likeness of a throne. And he that sat upon and he that, and he spake unto the man the man clothed with linen and said, go in between the wheels, even under the cherub and fill thine hand with coals of fire from between the cherubims and scatter them over the city. And they went in, uh, in, in my sight. Now the cherubim stood on the right hand of the house. Uh, when the men went in and the cloud filled the inner court, then the glory of the Lord went up 
from the cherub and stood over the threshold of the house. And the house was filled with the cloud and the court was filled with the brightness of the Lord's glory. And the sound of the cherubim's wings was heard even into the outer court as the voice of the Almighty God when he speaketh. So it was very loud. And it came to pass that when he uh, commanded the man uh, clothed with linen, saying, Take fire from between the wheels, from between the cherubims. And he went in and stood beside the wheels. And one cherub stretched forth his hand from between the cherubims under the fire that was between the cherubims. And he took thereof and put uh, in uh, put it into his hands of him that was clothed with linen, who took it and went out. And there appeared in uh, the cherubims the form of a man's hand under their wings. And they and uh, and when I looked, behold, the four wheels of the cherubims, one wheel uh, by one cherub and another wheel by another uh, cherub. And the appearance of the wheels was as the color of barrel stone, and as uh, for their appearance. And as for their appearance, they, had, they four had one likeness as of a wheel, uh, had been in the midst of a wheel. And when they went, uh, they went upon their four sides. They turned not as they went, but to the place uh, whither the head looked, they followed it. And they turned not as they went. And their whole body and their uh, backs and their backs and their hands and their wings and their wheels were full of eyes round about, even, in, even the wheels that were four. The, that they uh, four had, as the wheels as it was as it was cried unto them in the hearing uh, hearing O wheel, and every one had four faces and the face of uh, was the face, the first face was the face of a cherub, uh, the second face was the face of a man, the third the face of a lion and the fourth the face of an eagle, and the cherubims were lifting up. Uh, uh, were lifted up, I should say. This is the living creature that I saw by the river Chebar. And when the cherubims went, and the wheels went by them, and when the cherubims lifted up their wings to mount, to mount up from the earth, the same wheels also turned not from beside them. And when they stood, these uh, these stood. And when they were lifted up, these lifted themselves also, for his spirit of the living creature was in them. And uh, then the glory of the Lord departed from off the threshold of the house. And stood over the cherubims, and the cherubims lifted up their wings and mounted up uh, from the earth in my sight. When they went out, uh, the wheels also were beside them, uh, and every one stood at the door of the east gate of the Lord's house. And the glory of God of Israel was over them above. This was a living creature that I saw under uh, the God of Israel by the river of Chebar, and I knew uh, that they were the cherubims. Every one had four faces, and that keeps being brought up, and every one had four wings. The likeness of the hands of a man was under their wings, and the likeness of their faces was the same faces which I saw by the river Chebar, their appearances and, the, and the, themselves, and they went every one straight forward. All right, so four faces, four wings. Um, they have these hands under their wings. So um, the wheels are probably what you're wondering about with eyes in them. Or, or just the creatures. You're trying to envision what it looks like, man. I tell you, Jesse, you've really—that's a hard question. I may have to punt on this one, uh, as far as drawing it. Um, I, I've drawn. I do have, like, I have sketches uh, that I even have in my margins of the the cherubs and their faces, and and there's imagery that we could come up with. 
Um, and I even up in the right-hand corner here, I've got a little, <laughs> little chair with its arms out and everything. But um, as far as me drawing it up here and making any helping you, I'm not sure I can actually graphically represent any better than what the text says. Um, um, Jeff, maybe Jeff, Jeff, I'm not putting you on the spot, but he's an artist kind of guy. Would you be? I'm not going to ask you to do this tonight, but I'm asking from a artist perspective is is this a pretty hard thing to uh create in a graphic form yeah i mean it's a hard for me to to quantify it in a okay yeah yeah i i don't i mean the thing that is clear thank you jeff i mean i Yeah, for sure. A lot of people, you know, um, there's a lot in the Bible uh, in regard to, you know, you, let me back up a bit. I mean, you, this is actually the vision of of real creatures. So it's not like he's, he's uh, fantasizing and seeing something spiritual that isn't physical. These are really beings and creatures, and they're, inter, they're third heaven creatures interacting on earth. Yes, sir. Arabs or of the of this, yeah. Well, I'm afraid I'm not going to be very helpful in this one. I'm going to show. I'm going to leave the camera here for a second. It'd be. I don't go with this. Check out how bizarre that is. So I mean, you can you can Google that stuff up too. Okay. But uh, the one with four faces. One time I was I was tasked to draw. Honestly, that that doesn't even look. It's so subjective, I mean, as far as people's renditions of it. I'm really just looking. The wheels. So here's another one. You have these faces, but it doesn't have the, you know, the wheels within the wheels. So are those UFOs? What are those? You know, um, those are, I don't, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't really know exactly what they're composed of. I'm not told. They're just wheels, that, and they obviously move uh, in r- relation to them. That I don't know. I mean, I just don't know. I know their movements are attached to that at this time, but you don't see that. Like you, you can. There's a. Of course, cherubims are different than seraphims, but there's a. I'm looking back here. There's yes. If you go on the introduction, this is where my my little sketches are. Um, in the introduction of Ezekiel, right, the, the word of the Lord in verse three, 
chapter 1 and verse 3, the word of the Lord came expressly unto Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzai in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Chebar, and the hand of the Lord was, uh, was there upon him. And I looked, and behold, a whirlwind came out of the north, a, a great cloud and a fire enfolding itself, and a bright, and the brightness was as it, as it was out of the midst of uh, thereof, as the color of amber out of the midst of the fire. And out of the midst thereof came likeness of four living creatures. So you hear, you, you know, there there's these they're living creatures, right? Uh, and these are not these are not aberrations. These are not these are real beings. Um, and this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man, and every one had four faces, and every one had four wings. And then, of course, he corroborates that in chapter 10. and says, these are the same cherubs that I saw at the river Chebar, but now they're over at the temple, as you're, as you're pointing out. And Ezekiel says that uh, in chapter 10. So this tells us that they have four faces. Now, typically, when you see see an image of it, and I'm, I'm not going to do any justice to this, but the, I've, I've seen it depicted as, in essence, a face of a man and then, uh, you know, the face of an eagle. I'll just stick a nose out. Uh, what's the face? The face of a lion. I'll just put a snout out here. Uh, and then uh, what's the other face? The ox, which I can't get in a, a 2D image. Huh? Well, yeah, the fa- it is the face of an ox. So basically from the top down, right, you would have a face on each side. Well, And they would each be looking out. I have no reason to think that's not accurate. Right? So, uh, and then they have, it would have wings, and under those wings, obviously, uh, there's hands attached to the, those, those arms have wings upon them. Okay, so uh, so that's how, I mean, that, this may help you. This is 2D, so I'm missing the backside. The reason, and Roger's right, the reason he says the face of an ox, that's the face that's left off. The face of a cherub is the face of an ox, which is why in the Old Testament, Baal worship is represented by an ox. So the, the, the god of Dan is an ox. Baal is an ox because it's a cherub that's fallen. That cherub is, there's a cherub that has the faces of Satan. He presents himself as a man. He presents an antichrist. The Old Testament, he's an ox he's for worship. Uh, he's also like a roaring lion that seeks to be made of our. And uh, I don't know much about him being an eagle, but uh, he is with the fowls of the air for sure. He's over them. Oh, Babylon, that's right. That is there. Um, so, so their feet were straight like, uh, so they have feet. Let's go back to the text here. I'm sorry I've gotten off on a tangent. Everyone had four faces and everyone had four wings. And their uh, and their feet were straightened uh, with was were straight feet, and the sole of their feet was like the sole of calf's foot, or a calf's foot. So, uh, you ever seen a picture of old uh, uh, what's his face? Uh, not Dagon, but uh, oh well, God doesn't want me to remember his name right now, but. Uh, Satan, you know, the old goat head, he's always got calves feet. And so, um, anyway, so their feet were straight feet. And, and so they have four wings each, uh, four, four faces. Everyone had four wings. So somehow this body has, you know, four wings, which I suspect is one on each side. 
And so these are just creatures that, I mean, we don't, it's not like something we, we see. We don't, I don't know. I really don't, I've not seen one up close yet. So I just have to imagine what these look like based on this description. Um, notice, though, it does say their feet were a were straight feet. And so um, that's interesting. The sole of their feet was like the sole of a calf's foot. They, they sparkled like the, the color of varnished brass. So it's not just like, you know, this is Ezekiel seeing it. So he's explaining it. It could be soft like calf's feet or hard like calf's foot. I'm not exactly sure what he's describing there. It's what he's seeing. And they had the hands, and then he, he says it's like brass, though, so it's also metallic, at least what he's seeing. Um, <clears throat> and they had the hands of a man under their wings, which he keeps repeating uh, also in chapter 10 on their four sides. And they had in the forehead uh, their faces and their wings. Their wings were joined one to another, and they turned not when they went. They went everyone straight forward. So it gets back to their mobility. It seems like there's some sort of, you know, mobility issue there which if you have four faces and four wings i mean you how how do you know where to go you know so <laughs> it's an interesting thing to consider um so their wings were joined one to another and they turned not uh when they went and they and the and everyone uh went straight forward so as as for the likeness of their faces the four had the face of a man here's the four faces the face of a lion the face uh, on the on the right side so specifically and they had uh, the face of an ox on the left side, and the four also had the face of an eagle. So the right side and the left side. Uh, these were their, their faces, and their wings were stretched upward. Two wings of every one were joined one to another, and, the, and two covered with, and two covered their bodies. And there, and there went every one straight forward, whether the spirit uh, was to go, they went, and they turned not uh, when they went. So they moved in unison, and they moved in in a in a in a clear pattern in unison together. Um, now, as for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire. So these things are bright, and and like the appearance of lamps, it was up and down among the live. Uh, it went up and down among the living creatures, and the fire was bright. Out of the fire went forth lightning. And Jeff points out how terrifying that would be. So these are some energized creatures. I mean, this is some sort of manifestation. These creatures are something we're not accustomed. They're not human. These are cherubim. So there's there's some, for lack of a better word, there's power. There's spirit uh, that, that's moving them. Uh, there is uh, there is power is, is, is exuding forth from them, by, both in their countenance. There's literally lightning coming out of them. And the, and the living creatures ran and returned as the appearance of a flash of lightning. So their ability to move is, is, is so fast that it's like lightning. So they're, they're, they're probably warp in time and space, is my guess. Yes, sir. Yes. Oh, yeah, one star differs from another star in glory. And there are bodies celestial, and there are bodies terrestrial. <laughs> and these are celestial bodies that aren't our bodies. We get we get celestial bodies too that move through time and space in supernatural ways. Um, so we're getting a look at these. And yeah, Amen, Ron. And so these living creatures ran, and they returned as as the appearance of a flash of lightning. So when you watch the flash, this dude's running like a flash of lightning. That's just a picture, or a type of what these cherubs are doing. They're moving 
But it's in slow-mo, obviously, when they're in the temple in chapter 10. So he's able to watch their movements and see with clarity. Uh, but even in that, the, the, the motions, the, the machinations of these, these circles within circles and all of that obviously has something to do with their transportation. And I know some would say, oh, that's UFO technology. Well, yeah, it is. It's unidentifiable. We're having a hard time. He's having a hard time describing it, and we're having a hard time understanding it because it is technology. Uh, it is uh, it is apparatus, or it is uh, it is part of uh, what these cherubs how they how they traverse in light speed. Uh, I don't understand all that, so I'm just going to tell you right now. I don't understand. There's some things I just don't know, and I don't know all this. Uh, I'll figure it out when I get there, but uh, I don't know. Uh, so, so he says as I in verse 15. Now as I beheld the, the living creatures, behold, one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures. Uh, behold one wheel upon the earth by the living creatures with the, his four faces the appearance of the wheels and their work was like unto uh, the color of beryl and the four had one like likeness and their appearance <clears throat> and their work was as it were uh, a wheel in the middle of a wheel again getting back to what we saw in chapter 10 when they went they went upon their four sides and they turned not when they went as as for their uh, rings they were uh, so high that they were dreadful. Uh, getting back to again the imagery, it's 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 uh, this this imagery is when you see it is frightening. And the rings were full of eyes round about uh, them four. Now I've wondered about the eyes. Are, are those like like we would think of a human eye, or is it some other apparatus, uh, some sort of other cre- creation? That is an eye, you know, because there's different animals with different eyes, you know. So we, we recognize them all as eyes. Eyes are eyes, but not all eyes. All eyes look the same. But whatever it is, there's eyes. And it's probably organic. Uh, I'm, so when I say apparatus and I'm using these terms, uh, I don't mean that it's mechanical necessarily. Uh, God can, is certainly all of this. God speaks it into existence, and it is what it is. Um, and so... Um, but it's the only way I can explain it in terms that I understand it. <laughs> so, because he's he's using the terms wheels and rings, and so not me. So it, it takes my mind there. Um, and so they they went upon their four sides, and they turned not when they went. So again, you see this this movement um, seems to be you know left, right, forward, backward, you know, in nature, and it seems to be very rapid. So they they move and they move it in one unit. All, the, all four. And when the living creatures went, verse 19, when the living creatures went, um, uh, the wheels went by them. And when the living creatures were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up. So these wheels uh, were behind, like propelling, and all of a sudden they're under. It, it appears to me. Uh, and whatever those wheels are. Okay, so that's where my mind kind of melts. I'm not quite sure how those wheels roll or what they look like. Verse 20, whithersoever the spirit was to go, they went, uh, thither uh, was their spirit to go. And the wheels were lifted up over against them, and the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. So there's your answer. The spirit of the creature was in the wheels. So, um, and so I have a note in my, uh, in my Bible where I've marked that myself to answer that very question. I just forgot that I'd been there. So that was one of the questions I've had too. So I would say that, yes, they are, those wheels are connected to the chairs. <clears throat> However, the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. Or even if not, they're, they are controlling it as if it's a unit, as an extension. I don't know. God knows. 
Um, when those uh, went, these went, and when those stood, these stood, and when those were lifted up from the earth, the wheels were lifted up over against them, for the spirit of the living creature was in the wheels. So their movement is in the wheels. Um, and the likeness of the firmament upon the heads of the living creature was as the color of the ter- of terrible crystal stretched forth over their heads above. And, and the word terrible just means, you know, it's, it's just a, it's an adjective for, we might use a word um, I'm trying to think of another way to say that. Um, it doesn't mean that we think of terrible as a bad thing. Um, awesome. I mean, it's just overwhelming. You know, just it's an incredible, uh, it's an incredible thing. Um, and so uh, where, did, where was I? a terrible crystal stretched forth over the heads above and under the firmament were the were their wings straight uh, the one toward the other, every one had two, which covered the sides, and every one had two, which covered on the, the, uh, that side of their bodies. And when they went, I heard the noise of their wings like the noise of great waters, as the voice of the Almighty, the voice of speech, as the noise of the host. When they stood, they let down their wings. So there's a lot of noise, and it's very, very um, in- intense. And there was a voice from the firmament that was over their heads when they stood and had let down their wings. And above the firmament uh, that was over their heads was the likeness of a throne as the appearance of a sapphire stone. And upon the the, um, likeness of the throne was the likeness as the appearance of a man above, uh, above upon it. And I saw the color of amber as the appearance of fire around about within it and from the appearance of his loins even upward and from the appearance of his loins even downward i saw as it were the appearance of fire and it had brightness round about it and the appearance of of the bow now note that uh that was in the cloud in the rain in the day of rain so was the appearance of the brightness round about uh, this was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the lord and when i saw it i fell Upon my face, and I heard a voice of one that spake. Now, that bow reminds you of what you see in Revelation. There's a bow around the throne. So, I, I there's a lot here. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna show you show you what I've got in my marginal notes. I could try. It's not very. This is a horrible. It's all actually faded now, so you can't even hardly see it. I'll try to maybe show this up on the screen. So. That's my rendition is, is you got these four. I only show two because I can't show four, but you'd have four on the corners holding up the throne. The fifth would have been, uh, that's what I'm showing here, the anointed chair that covered the throne. Um, he's gone. And so um, so you have these you have these two dudes. They hold up with their wings. But they still have another set of wings. And then they somehow move with these wheels. That's not, That's my rendition. And so um, I don't know, you know, I'll find out when I see how that all rolls. So what I was showing Jesse, and I'm going to do a cruder, a crude image of what I, I have in my margins and, and don't necessarily mark this down as, as uh, you know, this is just my rendition of that. Basically, um, what I have is based on this uh image that I see is I have a throne 
This is a terrible throne. And I have, you know, I'm not going to draw specifics. But obviously there's a man, a man that's very specific sitting on the throne. Right? So this is a terrible image. Um, And I'm sure it's ornate in in everything. Um, And then the way I was, and then you have these cherubims, I believe, holding this thing up. <coughs> and just for lack of being for all their heads and all those forms and their bodies, they have their feet and then they have these rings. <coughs> and they still have set of wings <clears throat> and of course they underneath those wings they would have hands as, as mentioned in the text <clears throat> now they have four faces so however that works um, and and this is resonating you know obviously God's glory and then I believe there's just fire around the throne based on what I was reading. So um, in in chapter 1, in verse 10, is where I I pull this. And this, again, I just as crude as can be. um, They they each had the face of a man and a lion and the eagle. So um, in verse 14... uh, yeah, it talks about the flash of lightning and all that. So we've covered all that. So however they move, and again, I was telling Jesse, there's not, I'm showing two, but there's obviously four. And where they go is where everything is moving. And that's that's my concept. And there's light and noise and wings fluttering so loudly that, as Jeff said, it would you would be horrified. There's light. These guys are light beings. Light, their countenances is fire. I mean, so... There, uh, it's beyond my comprehension, frankly. What's really amazing is in the midst of all that is a man sitting in the throne. Uh, and uh, and then as I was pointing out to Jesse, <clears throat> if the anointed chair that covered the throne was here, that, that's, that spot's vacated because he's been cast down. However, that would have rolled. And so some have proposed uh, getting out of, his, out of Ezekiel's vision into, well, actually it's not. It is in Ezekiel. No, it's in Job. Where you, if, if you were to, <clears throat> if the universe were a garment, right, like Old Testament style, and the earth was God's footstool down here, so this is his feet. Um, some have proposed that the anointed cherub, was it that was covering the throne from the universe, from God's glory, uh, protecting the universe? I've heard that, but I don't know. That would put him between God's glory and the rest of the universe. I doubt that. <clears throat> I think it, it's. I think he was probably positionally the fifth one was up up top. So, at any rate, he. We. What I do know is he was the anointed cherub that covered the throne, and. Is no longer that. So, um, 
And so as you go through Ezekiel chapter 1 and chapter 10, over and over and over, what do you hear? Four, 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 four. And you're missing the fifth because that would be uh, Satan. And another thing that, that you can see there in Ezekiel, I don't know if I'm helping you with anything here as you're thinking about this, Jesse, but um, <clears throat> uh, the four faces, it's a man, a lion, an ox, and an eagle. So uh, Satan's, those are the same you know, faces that Satan uses. Uh, he, in Job 41, 12, uh, I got some cross references here we can look at. <clears throat> Job forty one twelve. He says, "I will not conceal his parts, nor his power, nor his comely proportion." And so, um, you know, what's he look like? Well. In Isaiah 14, we know that uh, he's a. We know what he looks like there. He's a, there. It tells us he he's fallen from heaven. O Lucifer, son of the morning, art thou cut down uh, to the ground, which didst weaken the nations? And so we we see his fall. And uh, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit upon the mount of the congregation. On the sides of the north, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Uh, so there, he would want to ascend over the the top of of uh, God. I <clears throat> thou shalt be brought yet. Thou shalt be brought to hell. The sides of, uh, to the sides of the pit. They that see thee shall narrowly look upon thee and consider thee, saying, Is this the man that made the earth to tremble and did shake the kingdoms? So interestingly enough, this cherub. Uh, the anointed cherub becomes a man. That's been on his list. In Ezekiel, we see a man on the throne. We know, of course, that man is is God. It's Jesus sitting on the throne. And um, that's something that he aspired to be because he wanted to be like the Most High. He wasn't satisfied with being uh, the cherub that God made him to be. In Ezekiel 28, which I think many of us are familiar with, uh, this reveals, you know... uh, I think uh, verse 13, number rebellion, says, uh, Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was thy covering, the sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the emerald, the carbuncle, the gold, the workmanship of thy tabrets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou was created. Uh, and so he's full of precious stone. There's ten jewels here. He's, he's musical because he's got these pipes. Uh, and he says, Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. So there's a little bit more insight to, to his parts and his comely proportion. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou hast walked up and uh, down in the midst of the stones of fire. Thou wast perfect in thy ways from the day that thou wast created till iniquity was found in thee. Uh, so here we see that this cherub, anointed cherub, is walking, interestingly enough. So they do have feet. These four cherubs have feet, uh, and, they're, and they're moving about uh, on these, with this system, uh, for lack of a better word, these, these, ring, these uh, rings of fire. Uh, but then we see this cherub is able to walk up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. Um, so I don't know exactly what that means. Maybe someone else has some insights on that. 
Um, but now he walks about like a roaring lion seeking whom he, whom he may devour because one of the faces of a cherub is that of a lion. Uh, and, of course, so <clears throat> uh, verse 16 says, By the multitude of thy merchandise they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God. I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, uh, from the midst of the stones of fire. So the, the stones of fire are significant. He's walking. These, this is a place where probably, you know, it's a, he's obviously allowed to be that most, most, most angels aren't. Most cherubs aren't. An angel and a cherub, this is unique. There's angels and there's cherubs. So there's cherub and there's seraphims, right? So there's cherubim, cherubim seraphims, and then there's your run-of-the-mill angel. And so he's walking in these stones of fire um, with liberty that God has allowed him to have as a privilege, and he's taking that for granted. Uh, and so, and his heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before the kings they shall uh, that they may behold thee. All right, so uh, we see that. <clears throat> and then... He, he's, so he ends up being several things. So um, hell was created for the devil and his angels. And we know that in Isaiah there's the prophecy that the worm dies not. So ultimately this, this anointed cherub that covers the throne, he gets, he gets to be like a man because there's a man sitting on the throne. Uh, and that's really what's coming up in the tribulation period is him. He gets, to, he gets to, in the midpoint at the abomination of desolations when he takes on the the godship of the earth for a short season. He is, a, he is, the, and he is not the God man, but he will portray himself to be the God man of the planet. And, to, and he will demand worship, <clears throat> which is what he's after. And, um, and that's not going to last, of course. And uh, then after that, he gets, uh, he gets bound for a thousand years and he gets cast in like a fire. And so interesting, interestingly enough, um, when you look back and you look at uh, the prophecy of hell um, in uh, that's Mark, uh, which is based off the the uh, prophecy in Isaiah. Jesus is talking about uh, the worm dying not. Um, let's see. Okay, if I get that, I'll get the other. Let me go back to Isaiah. 66:24, and then Mark 9:46, I think. <clears throat> Would you say 13? Nope. I think it's nine. 9:46. But that's okay, Ron. You're a computer, brother. All right. So, um, so in a, in a, the, the the I'll start in Mark chapter 10. This is a familiar to many, but this is a this is a really strong admonition. Um, it says, "I'll just back up to verse um, thirty-eight." And John answered him, saying, "Master, we saw one casting out devils in my, in, uh, in thy name, and, and and he followeth not us, <clears throat> and we forbade him because he followeth not us." But Jesus said, "Forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do miracles in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. For he that is not against us is on our part." So, you know, don't get too, you know, worried about who's in your fellowship. There's other fellowships out there, right, is what he's saying. For he that is not against us is on our part. Verse 41. For whosoever shall give you a cup of water uh, to drink in my name because uh, ye belong to Christ, 
Verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. And whosoever shall offend one of these little ones, verse 42, that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. And if a hand offend thee, cut it off. For it is better for thee to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell and into the fire uh, that never shall be quenched. Now, this is obviously a context of the coming uh, tribulation period. But where their worm dieth not, verse 44, and the fire is not quenched. And if thy foot offend thee, cut it off. It is better for thee to enter into life uh, than having two feet to be cast into hell into, into the fire that never shall be quenched. Where the, and it says in verse 46, where their worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched, and if, if thine eye offend thee, pluck it out, it is better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Where the worm dieth not, keep saying where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. For every one shall be salted with fire, and every sacrifice shall be salted with salt. Salt is good, but if, it, if the salt have lost its saltiness, wherewith shall you season it? Uh, have salt in yourselves and have peace one with another. And remember Lot's wife, right? She's a pillar of salt. So that's at, back in Isaiah chapter 66 and verse 24. It says, And they shall go forth and look upon the carcasses of the men that have transgressed against me, for their worm shall not die, neither shall the fire be quenched, and they shall be an abhorring <clears throat> unto all flesh. So, uh, <clears throat> you know, Gehenna is uh, on the other side of Jerusalem. Some believe that will be populated during the millennial with these bodies of uh, people rolling over, uh, and they, then they'll be cast in a lake of fire. So perhaps, but it appears that the the, the once people are um, dead, uh, I don't mean just physically, but I mean spiritually, and cast in, into fire, they're, they're going to have a, an image that's, you know, he describes it as a worm, you know, very, it's really bad. All of a sudden, my black pen came back to life. That's good. So an earthworm, you know, we can all identify with an earthworm. <clears throat> uh, but it's interesting that he calls Satan, Lucifer, uh, that anointed cherub. He's not just a worm. He's a, he's a serpent, right, which is much longer. And uh, so uh, I think what you have, so when I think about that, that old serpent, the devil, that's what he's called him from, you know, Genesis. It, obviously, it talks about his methods. He is subtle and all of those things. Uh, but also, I think that's a prediction of where he's going to end up. Just like every lost man is going to be like a worm. They're not going to have hands or legs, and they're going to be writhing in pain. Um, Satan will be a bigger scale version of that as a serpent. Just like if you put a worm on the ground, there's some pretty big earthworms like a nightcrawler. But still, compared to a serpent, it's much, much smaller, right? So I, I, I think that when we look at Satan, uh, interesting, too, it says another thing about that is when we look upon him, it says, is this the man? We'll be very unimpressed because he will have forfeited all this glory uh, that he had to overthrow God. And at length, will, I mean, even mortals will look at him and go, is this the man? Really? This is what it came to. And uh, he's just going to be a just be a serpent writhing in like a fire, casting like a fire. So um, obviously uh, there's a lot of imagery there. <clears throat> the worm dieth not is uh, is definitely a, a a scary concept 
So if people aren't saved, they need to get saved today. Uh, that really is a side note to Ezekiel chapter 1 and chapter 10. But it's interesting how he is declining with each successive attempt to overthrow God. Yes, sir. In chapter 1 and 10, could we uh, consider those as good? As good. I mean, it, the, those are the glory of the Lord, or the yeah. glory of God, right? So mm-hmm. those visions are good. Yeah. What's okay. not good is he's leaving the temple, but yeah, it's good. God's good. It's great. <clears throat> and okay. uh Yeah. And so the glory of the Ichabod, you know, God has to, the, he's judging, he's judging um, Israel. And, and, uh, and so um, he's, he, you know, he reestablishes worship in Nehemiah, or I mean in Ezra and then Nehemiah. So praise the Lord. So it's not, it, I mean, the glory of the Lord's a great thing, um, but it's not a, it's not a good thing for Israel because they're in captivity. Which is the whole point? Is the Lord is that they've been overtaken, and God's promises to Israel had to be put on hold for seventy years while they were in captivity. But but it's also a positive thing, and that God does restore and will restore. It's prophetic, you know. Even as you go through, eventually you get to the you get to the millennial reign of Christ in Ezekiel, and you literally have Jesus sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. And water coming out of the temple and the earth being restored. And so, yeah, you got to keep reading, you know, because it ends up well for Israel, praise God, and for, for the world because Jesus returns. So uh, this, this really is a – Ezekiel's in a fascinating book. Ron, did you have something? I saw your hand. Yeah, um, I tell you, when I meditate on this, and this is probably being kept and obvious, but um, – I really meditate on this is the Lord coming down to earth where he really wants to be. Mm, And, and, um, you know, I know that I can't get the imagery, like I won't be able to get the imagery, but, you know, um, Revelation chapter four, obviously is the place of power. and, and, And John, the apostle John describes the throne. And, um, I just, you know, we, I think it might bear mentioning here that just this is, this is God. Let's, let's meditate on God. And yes, um, Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 10 is, is God's coming down to judge Israel. If you look at Ezekiel chapter 9, he's actually, and this is probably could, should be considered a tribulation context, but Ezekiel chapter 9, that whole chapter, um, God is going to go through the city of Jerusalem and slay people. But what is the first thing that happens in that chapter, not in the chapter, but, you know, a few verses down, is there's a rider with an inkhorn by his side and God commands him to go and seal the certain ones in the city that sigh because of all the evil that's going on. In, in the city and so when I when I think about these chapters in Ezekiel I really think about you know this is the Lord he really wants to be here obviously he can't because of sin but um, he really wants to be here and he'll eventually be here obviously in the millennium but that's kind of you know I just like to add that share that man that's good brother amen yeah verse four uh, he marks the 
the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for the abominations done in Israel, in uh, Jerusalem, in Israel, <clears throat> in Jerusalem in particular. Um, so yes, that is a that's a good word. But what we will mark, we will interestingly enough, I was mentioning the mark earlier. Uh, that's uh, this is his mark. A lot of people lose that with the mark. We talk about the mark of the beast, and people get freaked out about that. I mean, as they should, but. It's just Satan emulating what God's going to do with those that are sighing, you know. And uh, as I as I like to mention, we're already sealed. So when you're born again, you've already got the seal of God. It's it's the Holy Ghost in us. So, um, Amen, Ron. What a good way to kind of wrap that up. So, and and onto your point uh, or your your yes, uh, it is a terrible thing in a sense of the the sin that separated Israel from the. God's intentions and the promises, but it's also obviously God's able to, uh, he's going to be able to restore what the locusts have eaten. And, and as he says in Romans, a good, a good thing that he writes, he tells us through Paul is if the, if the, uh, to kind of put this in perspective succinctly, uh, as Paul would say it instead of me, um, and I'll just end on this <clears throat> to your last comment there, Jesse, um, He says there, um, in verse 15 of chapter of Romans 11, he says, For if the casting away of them, being Israel, be the reconciling of the world, what shall be the receiving of them? What shall the receiving of them be but life from the dead? You know, so if the casting, if all these troubles, you know, with Israel, which obviously are are epic and, and huge and, and picture just our own disobedience. And, 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 and that's why we shouldn't in that same text says, hey, don't get puffed up with pride, you know, because you could, you know, you're grafted in. So but he's like, man, if the casting away of them is the saving of the world, then wow, can you imagine what's going to happen when they're reconciled? And so Ezekiel is that is a picture, uh, and as Ron pointed out, it's also clearly prophetic in tribulation sense. But it's going to be um, incredible when Jesus returns. And so, yeah, the glory of the Lord is what it is all about. Amen. All right, well, let's pray and uh, let's uh, let's stand together, and we'll prepare to dismiss. Thank you guys for coming out tonight. If you join us online, we're glad that you're with us, Leela and all the gang, maybe Bobby Blaine, whoever. And so um, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful.